From KVLU Public Radio in Belmont, Texas, this is Bayou Lands Talks, a companion podcast where we're sharing some of our favorite conversations with a wide range of guests that we've interviewed for the KVLU radio documentary series, Bayou Lands, a program exploring the people and places of Southeast Texas since 2016. This is Shannon Harris. For this episode, we're sharing a recent interview with Dr. Laura Cochran, Associate Professor and Coordinator of Art History and Visual Arts at Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We spoke about her work to research and document the art and architectural significance of Temple Emmanuel, a place of worship for the Jewish community in Southeast Texas since 1923. Our conversation originally aired in the October 2021 episode of the Bayou Lands Radio Series. We hope you enjoy. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. You have an extensive background in art and design history. You teach medieval art, and you've worked on many projects, and you also have some library Mm -hmm. science background as well. So lots of different disciplines sort of melding together. Do you feel like that has prepared you for your current project? Yes, definitely. So uh, my training in art history um, is in medieval studies, which means um, you know going to Europe and looking at manuscripts. So this has been so much fun and a little more like my library background or art, archival background because I've been doing a lot of newspaper research in archival repositories. So yes, definitely having that archival background has been really helpful and I really like that I get to kind of go back to that and, and use that for this. Before we talk about the project and the book that you're working on, where did you grow up? I grew up in San Diego. So my mother grew up in Port Arthur, and, and she's her whole, a lot of her family's still here. But uh, she moved out to California right before I was born. Um, with my, that's where my father was from. So I would come to Port Arthur most summers growing up. So I, I know this area pretty well. And the, the temple there in Port Arthur, uh, was that still active whenever you would come mm-hmm. back to visit? Yes. So the temple there um, was still active. They've now merged with the Beaumont Temple. Um, so now my family goes to Temple Emmanuel in Beaumont. I'd been there before um, growing up because my um, one of my aunts and uncles, that was the synagogue they went to. But I of was struck the last time I was here by how beautiful it was architecturally and especially the windows Mm -hmm. because I hadn't really been in it that often. That's what inspired me to start this project. Okay, so tell us more about the project. What I'm working on right now is um, I wrote an article on the um, architecture and now I'm focused more on the windows for the next part of my project. The reason I've been putting off the windows is because I'm going to have to go to Israel to do some research and obviously COVID has slowed that down and just the logistics of getting over there. So uh, because the windows were designed there and I think a lot of the correspondence between the artist and the rabbi in Beaumont will be there. So I'll have to go there and so right now I'm working on that research if a book comes out of that. I expect it will be on the entire synagogue, the building, because I'm an art historian, Mm -hmm. uh, not the history of the community as much, which has been documented a little better, but more on the art and architecture of the building. The windows, of course, are so special. Can you describe them for our listeners? Right. So um, so from the outside, you can see the silhouette of them. They're, they don't look like Gothic um, medieval 
stained glass. So rather than having all that ornate tracery, um, they're just simple rectangles with a um, semicircular arch above them. Um, and then on the inside, when you can see them with the light streaming through, um, they have figural decoration of their six windows. So each one has a different Jewish prophet. And so you have one in each one sort of a big figure as the main scene. And then around it framed in is um, uh, imagery um, related to Jewish history and archaeology, symbols of the 12 tribes of Israel, in one case symbols of the zodiac in another, which seems odd, but that was actually um, a popular subject in um, antique synagogues in Palestine to have these um, images of the zodiac symbols coming out of Greek and Roman tradition. Um, also lots of imagery related to flora and fauna of that area. So it's um, very much a celebration of Israel. And um, what my research is really on is um, what these windows were supposed to say about the relationship of the Jews of Beaumont, who, who were the congregants of that particular synagogue, to Israel, which at that point was, well, it had just become part of the British mandate. And so their relationship to the beginnings of the state of Israel. And what was the year that they were commissioned? They were probably commissioned, I would say, about 1920, 1921. They were completed in 1923. So they were designed in Israel maybe 2021, um, and then the designs were sent um, to New York, where they were um, completed by a uh, stained glass company in New York State. And do you know how uh, large the congregation was at that time? So the um, synagogue was built to hold about 600. So the previous synagogue building, which was the first synagogue building in Beaumont, held, a, I want to say, about 100, 150. And that was in 1901, the same year as the, the blowout at Spindletop. And so suddenly uh, Beaumont's population you know, Exploded. explodes. Mm-hmm. And, Literally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and uh, so did the Jewish population. So they built the synagogue and immediately outgrew it. And so World War I slowed them down. Um, but right at, as soon as it actually was, I think, within a few days of end of World War I, the rabbi, uh, Samuel Rosinger, suggested, let's go ahead, let's, let's build a new synagogue. And so that was in 1919, and then um, it was completed at the end of 1923. They had the dedication ceremony. It holds about 600. So I think that was about the population of their congregation at that time. So tell us more about how the windows came to be. They were designed in Israel um, by an artist called Zev Raban, who worked for a um, really important early Israeli institution called the Betzalel School. So the school was um, begun, it was the first institution of the of the state of Israel before it was actually a state. Um, and it was a school to teach um, new immigrants to do arts and crafts. And the reason that's so um, sort of extraordinary is up until that point, there was this assumption that Jews didn't have an art. And then the argument of this school, which was begun by a figure called Boris Schatz, his argument was that the reason there is no Jewish art, art that is particular to the Jews, Jews made art, but they made it in the in the style of the places where they live. So if they lived in Spain, it looked like Spanish art. If they lived in Germany, it looked like German art. His argument was because they were a minority in all of these places, they didn't have the opportunity to develop their own art. So once there was this state, then this 
Jewish art could flourish. And he wanted to build a school to help that to happen. So the Betzalel School was started in 1906. And then that was also a way to make money for the Zionist movement. And so they would sell what they made. And um, this was actually the Betzalel School really courted American patronage because they knew American Jews had money and would buy things and then helped support the school. So they started sending representatives. Representative came to um, Texas in 1912. It was a woman, um, Madame Pervsner, and she ended up um, meeting Samuel Rosinger, the rabbi. He was in San Antonio. He heard her speak, invited her to come to Beaumont to give a speech. So she gave a talk. Um, there was She showed films and uh, lantern slides. So she had this, this kind of exciting uh, presentation she would give. Actually, it was the very first film showing moving pictures, showing um, scenes of Palestine was in 1911. So she brought this film with her. And that seems to have sparked this interest of the Beaumont congregation. So when it came time to decorate the new synagogue um, in the teens, in the late teens, early 20s, uh, they they started corresponding with the Betzalel School, asked them to design the windows. I assume the reason they didn't have them built in Israel it was the expense of shipping them over. Um, so they had the drawings made, and they were full-size drawings. The, they're 16 feet high, the windows, all six of them. And um, the drawings must have been quite impressive in and of themselves because they actually were put on display in 1925 at the Houston Museum of Art, the, the drawings mm. were. And I found newspaper articles talking about that, but I haven't found the drawings yet. Oh, I'm still gosh. hoping they'll just appear in a drawer somewhere, <laughs> but right, I, right. I don't know what happened Maybe to the drawings. Maybe they're in private collections somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know, that unfortunately. That seems like a difficult thing to store, you know? Well, they would have been quite large, um, but I assume they'd be on paper, so mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Um, a mystery. I, I mm-hmm. contacted the museum in Houston just recently to see if maybe they still had them, and they couldn't find any record of them. So I'm still hoping they'll pop up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they were built here in the U.S.? They were um, built in New York State, the uh, Castle Montague Stained Glass Company, who's you know did a, a bunch of other stained glass, mostly for churches. As far as I can tell, they didn't typically work for synagogues, um, but they manifested the designs. So they were still done rather far away, and they had to be shipped to Beaumont. Yeah, I can't imagine what that looked like. It must have been on a truck or a train. Yeah, yeah. I know. So this, these enormous windows mm-hmm. were somehow shipped here. And then installed, mm-hmm. the installation process. Yeah. What that must have looked like. And they are were, there photographs of that? There are not. Um, there are photographs of the um, restoration that was done in uh, the early 2000s or the 1990s where you get a sense of how big, how, how monumental mm-hmm. they actually are because they were taken out and restored and put back in. So there's sort of pictures to give a sense of, of the uh, enormity of that project. Yeah. But no, no pictures of them being put in. Um, unfortunately, they're described a lot in the newspaper articles, and I found a collection of letters in which uh, at least one other rabbi writes to Rabbi Rosinger saying how much he's you know, interested in seeing the windows. Um, and then, of course, they were displayed in Houston, or at least the drawings were. Mm-hmm. So they, they garnered a lot of interest, I think, a lot, because they were from this Betzalel school, um, which had you know, kind of made a name for itself in the teens and 20s. Is there anything like that 
in the state of Texas or any mm. other synagogues that did that? Um, you know, I've been sort of um, looking into stained glass and synagogues in general, and it's turning out to be a, a, an enormous project, which is hard to get a handle on. As far as I can tell, uh, the Betzalel School didn't do a lot of designs for stained glass. They did one in, uh, in the synagogue in Tel Aviv, so in Israel. And I just found out they might have designed some windows for a synagogue in Kansas City. So I'm going to be looking into that. Mm. Um, but it, uh, as far as I can tell, they didn't do any others for other American synagogues. Um, and the one in Beaumont was definitely the first. All the other possibilities would have been later. So that was something that, our, that Rabbi Rosinger seemed to have come up with himself, wrote to them, said, would you do this? And then, and then they did. Yeah. And now, was this a fundraising campaign mm. that they undertook? Yes. Yeah, so the synagogue did, um, the newspaper talks about it. So in 1919, when uh, Rabbi Rosinger says, let's build a new synagogue, of course, they had to gather the money to do that. And I, I don't have the numbers um, uh, off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, the, the congregation came together to you know, make ensure that that this happened and mm. that they could have the synagogue that that they um, that they that, w- that was you know what they wanted as a congregation. Um, the the windows are, are have a fascinating um, history, but I I just like to point out as well that the architecture is quite um, amazing as well and has a really interesting ideological aspect. So. So the windows, um, Rabbi Rosinger contacted the Betzalel School in Israel, but for the architect, he contacted a New York architect, which is a bit uncommon, usually for local synagogues and churches, local architects were used. But he had been reading um, articles by this architect in New York City, Albert Gottlieb, and he had a whole ideology about Jewish architecture. And it, it was in line with Zionist ideas about Jewish culture and art, that it should be um, it should be Jewish, that it shouldn't emulate any other culture. And so his articles were essentially saying, um, you know, we've for so many years, our synagogues look like churches. Let's stop that. Let's make a new architecture that's he called it in a purely Jewish style. And I, you know, what does that mean? He doesn't even explain how one does that. Um, but he, it's, this was the first building that he built after writing those articles. And I think he, it's pretty clear to see that he's attempting to do that, that he's not, he's trying to make something that looks different. You know, it's really hard to point to Temple Emmanuel in Beaumont and say, oh, yes, that's in the Gothic style, or that's in the Romanesque style, or that's in the Neo-Islamic style. It, it really does seem to be trying to not be any one other thing. So it ideologically, the windows and the choice of architects seems to really go together to try to celebrate a notion, an early 1920s notion of Jewish identity mm. at this time, which really is going along with a new ideology called cultural pluralism. A little bit earlier than that, there was the notion of the melting pot. Um, and you know, everyone would come to America and they'd go into the melting pot and they'd come out kind of being American, but indistinguishable. And in the um, 19 teens, there was this new ideology that, well, that's not great. You know, let's not lose ourselves into the melting pot. Um, Instead, let's all celebrate our culture. Let's live together in harmony. You know, everyone has their own way of doing things. Let's keep those things, keep what makes each culture great. 
and the famous philosopher who came up with that idea, um, Horace Callan, he wrote an article in 1915, and it's right after that this architect, Albert Gottlieb, starts uh, writing about how synagogues should look Jewish. They shouldn't look like Christian churches or like a pagan temple. You know, so many buildings at that time were in the classical style um, with pediments and columns. And so he really, um, I think, is kind of going along with this idea that not, you know, just to celebrate Jewish identity through architecture and through art. And um, I think that's, you know, how Rabbi Rosinger in his writings, he kind of he talks about that as well. That we shouldn't. He he's very against emulation of other cultures. He says let's celebrate what's great about Judaism, and um, I think that's really what that whole the architecture of the windows is really about, is sort of making something that doesn't assimilate but rather celebrates difference. Mm -hmm. It seems revolutionary to think that a hundred years ago mm -hmm. that was a popular mindset. Yes, the criticism was, you know, what does that mean? You know, of course you emulate. That's what architects do. That's what artists do. They they take and, and remake. And, you know, every culture is borrowing. So that was definitely one of the criticisms. But the mindset, this mindset of trying to do that, I mean, to me that's what's really, I think, in, most interesting right. is that that was the goal. Mm -hmm. And it is also interesting because at the very same time, there's an anti-immigration movement in the United States. Yeah, and, and that was the, the resurgence of the KKK at that time. And I think the decision to build the building and maybe even the decision to use Gottlieb and the Betzalel School, Ku Klux Klan, it was still just the beginnings of their resurgence. I think the Clavern and Beaumont begins in 1921. So right at the same time, this building, which is announcing we're Jewish and we're proud and, and isn't this beautiful, you have an anti-immigrant and, and anti-Jewish you know, movement. There's uh, the Houston Klan newspaper had articles every issue about how Jews aren't really American. And so there was this tension. So it's not just a happy, like, oh, look, we're going to go this way where everyone is you know, welcomed and encouraged to be themselves. Um, it's definitely a, you know, there's tension between those two things mm -hmm. going on at that time, which I think makes it even more interesting yeah. that the congregation was like, well, this is, this is going on, but we're still going to do this. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us for Bayou Lands. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks to our guest for this episode, Dr. Laura Cochran. For more information on Temple Emmanuel, visit their website at emmanuelbelmont.org. If you enjoy the conversation shared in this podcast, please remember to share and subscribe to Bayou Lands Talks wherever you find your podcasts. You can also listen on the NPR One app, along with other podcast offerings from KVLU. And join us on social media at 91.3 KVLU Public Radio on Facebook and Bayoulands on Instagram. Bayoulands Talks is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU in Beaumont, Texas, by Shannon Harris and Jason M. Miller. Thanks for listening, and Happy Hanukkah!